0: This episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast is sponsored in part by Law Enforcement Labor Services in Minnesota.
1: Law Enforcement Labor Services, also known as LELS, is Minnesota's largest public safety labor union, with over 7,000 Minnesota public safety members serving in all areas of public safety law enforcement, 911 dispatch centers, corrections, public safety administrative support personnel, and firefighters. Established in 1977, LELS serves over 260 different public safety agencies and over 450 locals across the state of Minnesota. With their administration, general counsel, three staff attorneys, and 14 business agents, LALS provides contract negotiations for better wages and benefits, grievance processing and representation, discipline representation, mediation and arbitration, assistance with representation for post board hearings, and in-line of duty death benefits for survivor families. Find out more about law enforcement labor services at LELS.org. LELS.org.
0: Episodes of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast may contain strong language and violent content. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Sheriff Scott Rose from Minnesota, and I'm your host for today's new episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. In each episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast, we'll share the details and the stories of how these men and women heroically lost their lives in the line of duty. Our mission is to help ensure their service and sacrifice is never forgotten. Thanks for spending some time with me today to remember and honor these fallen heroes. Winona, Minnesota. It's the county seat of Winona County, and it's located in the beautiful bluff country of the Mississippi River in the state of Minnesota. Its most notable physical landmark is Sugarloaf. The city is named after legendary figure Winona, said to have been the firstborn daughter of Chief Wapasha III. Chief Wampasha was a Dakota Sioux chief, and the one who signed the treaties in 1851 and in 1858 that ceded the southern half of what is now the state of Minnesota. Home to Winona State University, the city has its own population of around 26,000 people, plus nearly 9,000 students that attend the college each year. Just northwest of Winona city limits is the little city of Goodview. Mount St. Helens erupts in Washington, killing 57 and causing over $3 billion in damages, sending a plume of ash up 12 to 16 miles above sea level, coating vehicles with the fine ash as far away as Edmonton in Alberta, Canada.
2: The biggest eruption to rock the mountain in 123 years. Much of the volcanic activity is on Mount St. Helens' northwest flank. The eruption began at 8.39 a.m. and shot 60,000 feet into the air. Mount St. Helens stands 9,677 feet.
1: Pac-Man, the best-selling arcade game of all time, was released in 1980. The original Japanese title of Puck-Man was changed to Pac-Man for international releases as a preventative measure against defacement of the arcade machines by changing the P to an F. And John Lennon was killed in front of the Dakota Apartments in Manhattan, New York by Mark David Chapman.
2: Former
0: Beatle John Lennon is dead. He was shot a short time ago outside his Manhattan apartment building. He died at Roosevelt Hospital. Police have a suspect in custody.
2: Former Beatle John Lennon murdered in New York.
1: The year was 1980. It was a beautiful September day in Winona County, Minnesota. Skies were partly sunny and temperatures were expected to be around 80 degrees winona county felt like a much smaller community back in the 80s where everybody knew everybody johnny meyer was john schneider's son-in-law and he grew up in winona
2: well Winona's always been a pretty it's like a big mayberry actually kind of everybody kind of knows everybody and there's a lot of polish uh, heritage here and german heritage and things like that and, and it got bigger with uh, winona state and winona state just kept growing other than that winona's just uh you know, riverboat town. People come in up and down the river a lot, and, and uh, ride the Delta. It was the Delta Queen and Mississippi Queen, and did some shopping and stuff like that. And it's a little, little bit of a tourist town, but it's a lot of places where people like to call home.
1: Thirty-four-year-old John Arthur Kirch. John was employed as a machinist at the Winona Tool and Manufacturing Company for about seven years. At one point he was the head of the workers union there and would often come up with excellent ideas for their proposal during negotiations in spite of his previous involvement in the union he had been recently described by supervisors as a middle-of-the-road employee somewhat of a solitary person a loner that usually kept to himself and often lacked initiative He was also known to have one of the worst attendance records of any employee there, often using his allotted 12 hours of sick pay every month. John married Brenda in May of 1970, and by 1980, they had three children. A 12-year-old that Brenda brought into the relationship along with a 9-year-old, and a 15-month-old baby. Brenda and John had both been born and raised in Winona. They lived in the Lake Village Trailer Court, which was in Goodview, just outside of Winona, and that community is still there today. They lived in Lot 17 with their three kids. The Winona County Sheriff's Office was run by Sheriff Bruce Stanton. He was the county's 15th sheriff and was in the middle of his second term in office. His chief deputy was Vernon Spitzer, who was elected in November of 1982 to take Sheriff Stanton's place. The agency was much smaller back then.
0: We were small. We were a very small department. In the night crew, we had two guys on at one time in one car. So you had one car out in the county, which is 640 square miles, and they answered all the calls. It was one two-man car for the whole county.
1: The day shift staff at the sheriff's office included administration and one patrol car as well.
0: There was nobody on from four to seven, and then you shift started at 7 o'clock in the morning, and there was the sheriff, the chief deputy, an investigator, and a patrolman during the
1: day. One of the deputies working that day was a 22-year veteran of the Winona County Sheriff's Office. It was investigator John Schneider. John grew up in Winona. He grew up in a big family, and he was loved by nearly everyone in this river town.
2: Well, at first it was scary dating a cop's daughter, <laughs> so it was. But he, you know, he's 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 just a fun person. I didn't I didn't have to worry about once I met him and everything. Or you know, we were just just I just found him as really really likable. He's an old old fashioned guy. He's always smiling, always happy. You never seen him crabby. You never seen him mad.
1: At home was the love of his life, his wife of thirty one years. Gene Schneider.
2: I've never seen a couple that was were as close as them. Really, I mean, they, were, they did everything together.
1: And many recall his favorite old truck.
2: He had a '55. I believe it was a '55 or '56 Dodge. He, I don't know what it was before the color, but he painted it sassy grass green with a white top. Had the old starter button on the floor. It was just a he. He made it look really sharp. Uh, had a cherry bomb muffler stack on it. And the kids, his daughter and son, always loved to go to school because he would give them a ride and, you know, had that little rumble to it. As far
0: as vehicles go, that was his pride and joy. He restored it and repainted it and everything. I mean, and that was his work truck, too, but that was his pride and joy.
1: John was one of the senior deputies at the sheriff's office. And according to retired deputy Mike Miller, John had a sense of humor at work, too. That, That first
0: night I started... I got paired up with John, and he said, well, I'm a senior officer, so we're gonna get a few things straight. You're gonna drive, you're gonna answer the radio, you're gonna work, uh, okay, uh, and uh, I'll take a nap.
2: Well, John when he had days off up stuff, he would take rides with Gene in the, on a motorcycle over to Wisconsin, Nelson, Mondovi, all that stuff, nice back roads over there. And uh, <laughs> he just loved it and he got Jean into it and she was really enjoying it and everything. And they, they got over somewhere, I believe it was like Nelson, I, I thought oh, John said it was at one time. And they took a wrong turn and they ended up right on the main street in the center of a parade. And Jean felt so embarrassed and people were looking at him and, and John just kept driving his bike Looking to the left, looked to the right, and waving at people like he was the mayor or something, you know. And she's got her head down and back. I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> you
1: know? John loved his community in Winona. He loved the community he grew up with, and he always, always had a very strong faith. He always
2: carried his rosary with him, and he wouldn't leave the house if he left without his rosary. When he left, he forgot it. He come back home and got it. That was his faith. I mean, his family, his job, his family, and his faith were the three most important things to him.
1: On September 7th, 1980, that entire community's faith would be tested. Winona County Dispatch received a call from the Lake Village Trailer Court from Lot Number 15. Brenda Kirch reported she had gotten into an argument with her husband, John Kirch. Marianne Dasher was a neighbor to the Kirch family.
3: I heard from down the street, I heard, like, a door slamming or something, and I heard voices, like, talking back and forth, and they were getting a little louder, so I stepped a little bit toward the front of my trailer and kind of peeked out in the street, and I saw Brenda Kirch standing out in the street talking back to somebody and the last of her conversation that I heard was that she was going to call the sheriff.
1: Ted Larson was the deputy working in uniform and patrol for the sheriff's office that day. Deputy Larson in his marked patrol car followed Investigator John Schneider and Chief Deputy Vernon Spitzer, who were riding together in an unmarked squad car, to the Lake Village Trailer Court. It was 12.10 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. When they arrived at the trailer court, they stopped and met with Brenda Kirch, who was upset that John had kicked her out and kept the baby. Brenda was concerned that John might harm the 15-month-old. John Schneider asked Brenda if there were any weapons in the house.
2: That he had, John had asked, is there any weapons in the house, and she said that he had a 22 and uh but they knew of it. She goes, it hasn't worked for years. He's had it in a drawer and there was pieces missing or something. She goes, he hasn't used it at all. It's been there forever.
1: Brenda told the officers that she had previously hidden all the ammo that she could find in the trailer. The three then continued towards lot 15. The driveway next to lot number 15 was empty, so they parked their marked squad and the unmarked squad there, and they walked to the front door.
3: We were sitting right at the kitchen table here, and I was I faced Kirsch's trailer because I stood right in the end there, and my window was open enough so I could see when the the sheriff's car pulled up.
1: Deputy Larson followed Schneider and Spitzer to the door, where they both started knocking on the door to try to get Kirsch to respond. Both announced loudly that they were the sheriff's office and that Kirch needed to open the door. After getting no response from Kirch, Schneider and Spitzer instructed Larson to go get a pry bar from his squad car. Deputy Larson returned with his pry bar and he handed it to Schneider. Schneider used the pry bar to pop open the outside of the screen door and then handed Larson the bar back. Schneider turned around and gave the door two kicks to break it open. Deputy Larson turned away to put the primer on the ground and when he turned around back towards the door, Schneider was already pushing his way into the trailer with Spitzer following. That's when Deputy Larson heard the first gunshot.
3: I wasn't really noticing that much until I heard the first, what didn't really sound like a shot, it was more of a dull, muffled sound. Maybe about five seconds later, another, which did sound like a shot.
1: Deputy Larson came through the doorway with his service revolver drawn.
3: And then after that, (laughs) Vanderwolde came tearing out of their house, and they were going to go through the front of the yard, around the front of my trailer. And then Paulette Vanderwolde said, No, don't go there because you're right in line for fire if he happens to shoot again. So I got him in my back door and they were in my trailer. After that, we just sat in here for a while and then more people showed up. We went over onto the corner up there so we were far
1: enough away. The blinds were all closed so it was dark in the trailer. Chief Spitzer was standing just inside the doorway and Schneider was crouched down by the couch on the far side of the living room. Spitzer called out for Kirch to come out and bring the baby out. That's when they heard Schneider groan and then slumped down on the floor. It wasn't until then that the other two officers realized Schneider had been shot. Deputy Larson ran outside to his squad and called for an ambulance and said, officer down, get down here on the double to our location.
2: We were sitting in the house at John's house. We stopped over for lunch, which a lot of times he likes to do and uh, or have a stop over and stuff like that. And uh, we were, we were uh, ready to sit down for lunch and John would come home. Oh, it was pushing noon. And that Sunday we were sitting around the house and like most cop families, they had scanners on. And uh, it was on top of the refrigerator in the kitchen. And I have to be standing in the kitchen. Daughter Lori and his wife were just coming from between the kitchen and the living room. And we heard officer down, get out here on the double. And I'm like, I stopped and kind of froze. And Lori just come in and said, what did they say? And then, and she knew and Jean heard it. And she just turned right around and went in the bedroom and grabbed her rosary. And that's the true story. Like she knew it was just unbelievable. I told Lori, I, I, you know, we didn't know what to do. At first she took care of her mom. I tried to find out where it was. She's she already tried to use the phone in the basement. Um, he has like a nice family room downstairs and she tried calling the LEC and of course couldn't give out any information and uh, what was going on. So I knew where they were. So I took a jumped in my truck and took a ride out uh, to trailer cart out there. By the time I got there, there was so many cops, highway patrol, everybody around, and cars, um, people standing around in crowds. It was just a little bit off the main road. And I ran between two trailer houses, and i seen uh, one of the officers with a shotgun come back from his, the car, and he was he was heading back towards the scene. And I yelled out to him and twice, and he looked back at me, and I said, where's Schneider? and not even knowing anything happened or if it was even him. And he turned around and said they took him to the hospital, and I about collapsed right there.
1: Spitzer continued to try and talk Kirch into coming out with the baby. He knew Kirch was at the end of the hallway, but he couldn't see him because all the windows were covered and the hallway was dark. Where Schneider had gone down, Spitzer felt he was still visible to Kirch. When Deputy Larson came back in, Spitzer told him that he needed to help Schneider, and he instructed Larson to go get his shotgun. Larson went outside again and returned with his shotgun, and covered the hallway while Spitzer tried to help Schneider. Spitzer told Larson John looked pretty bad. Spitzer then called down the hallway to Kerch and told him he had just shot an officer and to come out now. Kirch tried to tell them that he didn't know who was breaking in. Spitzer told Kirch they identified themselves several times outside and Spitzer had also thrown his ID card and badge holder down the hallway towards Kirch. Kirch kept repeating that he wasn't going to come out because he was afraid they were going to beat him. He wanted his attorney there and Spitzer assured him that nobody was going to hurt him if he would just come out. Now Spencer went back out to his squad and he called for assistance from Winona to step up the ambulance response. He also asked for tear gas. Spitzer went back inside the trailer where Larson was and he continued to try to negotiate with Kerch to give himself up and bring the baby out. The ambulance service arrived a short time later and came in. Spitzer and Larson provided cover in the hallway while the crew removed John and rushed him out to the ambulance and to the hospital. Deputy Lettner arrived at this point and said that he had on a bulletproof vest and to let him try and talk Kirch out. Lettner was told the name of Kirch's attorney and he went back outside to let dispatch know to try and reach her. When Letner came back in, Kirch continued to tell them he was scared that he would either get beat up or shot by the police. Letner assured him that nobody was going to hurt him if he would just come out. He explained that they were concerned about the baby and they just wanted him to come out so they could get this whole thing over with. Dispatch advised the deputies on scene that the attorney's number was unlisted. Letner positioned himself near the hallway so he could look down, talk to Kirch, and try and determine if he was in one of the closer rooms or if he was in the last room at the end of the hallway. When Kirch was told they couldn't reach his attorney, he suggested another attorney. And he wanted that one to respond to the trailer, and he wanted him to be allowed to walk back to the bedroom so Kirch could talk to him. Letner told Kirch, we're not fools. We're not going to let anyone else come in when we know you have a gun. He told Kirch he could talk to the attorney outside after he surrendered. Kirch continued to try and claim he didn't know who they were and that he was worried what they would do to him. Letner told Kirch that there were hundreds of people outside that would be watching as they walked him out, so there was no way they would get away with hurting him. Kirch then suggested he would be hurt at the jail. Letner assured him that he would be safe there as well. Kirch then asked that they send his wife back to the room and that he would hand the baby off to her. Letner again told him they weren't fools, they weren't going to let that happen. Kirch then asked if his wife Brenda could be there at the trailer to take care of the baby if he was willing to come out. Letner sent another deputy off to go get Brenda and bring her to the trailer. A few minutes later, he could hear a woman's voice outside the trailer crying. Letner told Kirch that his wife was there and it was time for him to come out. Kirch continued to refuse. Back at the hospital, the Schneider family responded to find out about John's injuries. The family hadn't been told anything up to this point, other than that he'd been shot and that he was transported to Community Memorial Hospital by ambulance. So
2: I shot down the highway to when Community Memorial Hospital. By the time I got there, Lori was there and her mom was there and him, her brother, um, because some lady stopped by the house and heard it on the scanner also. Uh, somehow they got the word. They took him down there And we were all huddled into a room trying to figure out what happened. We didn't know the severity of anything. We didn't know if he got shot in the arm or in the hand or back or whatever. We just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, what happened, how bad is it, you know, whatever. And a few minutes later, a doctor come in and told us that uh, he'd done everything they could and he didn't pull through.
1: Back at the trailer, Kirch was still refusing to come out and surrender. Lettner was the only one with a bulletproof vest, so he's the one that continued to be the main negotiator with Kirch. At one point, Spitzer threw a gas mask to Lettner and told them that they were going to use gas to get Kirch out. And Lettner argued with Spitzer, give him some more time, explaining his concern about the effect the gas would have on the baby in that small room. Letner told Kirch that he needed to come out now with the baby. Otherwise, they were going to send in tear gas and they were concerned for the baby's safety. Kirch said, how do I know you won't shoot me? We're not going to shoot you when you have the baby. Just bring the baby out with you and make sure that we can see you and you don't have a gun and nobody will get hurt. Kirch finally agreed and told Letner to have his wife ready and he would give the baby to her. As Kirch was talking, Letner could hear he was getting closer down the dark hallway. Things became quiet. Hmm. Letner asked what was going on. Kirch didn't answer. Kirch said, I don't think I'm going to come out. I changed my mind. Letner kept reassuring him that he wouldn't get hurt. Finally, Kirch agreed to come out. Letner told Kirch as soon as he could see him and that he didn't have a gun, everything would be all right. Kirch then said, can you see me? Letner told Kirch that he still couldn't see him, that Kirch needed to come further down the hall. Deputy Letner was positioned around the corner, watching down the hall, so he could retreat and fire if Kirch started shooting. When Kirch walked by the small window in the hallway, Letner now could see him. And he had his hands wrapped around the small child and Kirch's hands were visible. Letner instructed Kirch to raise the baby away from his body so that they could see that there was no weapon between the baby and Kirch. Kirch raised the baby up and there was no gun. Kirch then knelt down to the floor. Letner was now yelling at Kirch, what are you doing? Show me your hands. Kirch reached to the floor and grabbed the badge that Spitzer had tossed down the hall earlier. Kirch said that he wanted to make sure that they were cops. Kirch told Letner he was gonna put the badge in his pocket and give it to him when he came down the hall. Letner told him, put the badge down and keep walking. Kirch dropped the badge and continued to move forward down the hall towards Letner. Letner instructed Kirch to stop and turn around so he could confirm he didn't have a gun. Kirch turned around and had no gun visible. He continued to walk forward until he saw Spitzer and Larson around the corner with guns drawn. Then Kirch hesitated and told them he wasn't coming out with those guns out. Lettner told him that they would put their guns away. Lettner then walked out into the kitchen area where Kirch could fully see him. Lettner told him he believed him. He believed Kirch was unarmed, so Lettner set his revolver down on the kitchen table and kept his hands up where Kirch could see them. Winona city officer Mueller was taking pictures as they walked by Kerch Kirch got upset about the camera and said, keep them away from him. Kerch continued to walk towards the squad and then when he saw how many people were out there watching them, he put his head down and then he laid down in the back seat of the squad. Letner read Kirch's Miranda warning and then Kerch said he just wanted to talk to his lawyer. On the way to the jail, Kirch continued to complain that his handcuffs were uncomfortable. Lettner told him that the handcuffs were the least of his concerns. Kirch asked how the guy was, referring to Schneider, and Lettner told him he didn't know. At the jail, Kirch was instructed to empty his pockets and take off his boots. He started to empty his pockets and then he paused. Lettner told him to take off his boots. Kirch said, Do you want me to empty my pockets or take off my boots? Lettner told him, do both. Kirch asked for a receipt for all of his property. Kirch then asked Letner if he was getting him some shoes to wear. Letner said no, that he wasn't going anywhere. Kirch complained that the cement floor was going to be too cold on his feet. He was placed in one of the intake cells where he continued to ask for his attorney saying he would talk to nobody but his attorney. Kirch later asked one of the deputy jailers who was tasked on keeping an eye on him, how the man was. The jailer described Kirch as looking shocked or dazed, kind of in another world. The jailer said, what man? Kirch said, the man that I shot. The jailer told him that he was dead. Kirch started to cry, slumped over the chair with his hands over his eyes, and several times during the booking process, Kirch told the deputies he just wanted to go home. John J. Schneider, badge 505 had served the Winona County Sheriff's Office for 22 years He was 11 days from his 55th birthday just a few years from retirement when he was murdered by Kirch John was 52 years old and left behind his wife Jean daughter Lori and son Tim he also left behind his two year old grandson, Scott.
2: Yeah, and he was grandpa's he was grandpa's buddy. I mean he just loved him and lit up for him and whatever. And my folks were watching him and when I went down to pick him up after the funeral and I, I talked to Scott and kinda of took him alongside of the house and towards his backyard, towards the alley, we we're just having a little father and son chat there and and you know those little two year olds and how cute they talk and he turns around and I got explaining to him I can't remember the exact words about how grandpa's gone to heaven and blah, 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 things like that, and, and I I don't know, I, I come across real soft with it and everything, you understand, you know what I'm talking about, honey, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah, little kid, yeah, and I go, well, I said, you know, this is kind of hard, this is, you know, it's a sad thing we didn't expect or whatever, and he just turned around and he looked at me and he, with these big blue eyes and blonde curly hair, and he goes, well, when is he coming back?
1: For fallen officer families and agencies, the funerals are often all but a blur. I
2: don't remember a whole lot about the service, just when we when we stood and then sat. I remember all the, it's just the weird things that you remember. I remember all the officers' guns out there on their, on their side, clicking you know, You heard them hit the wooden pews, and then when we would stand, you know, and they'd be saying prayers or something, and they'd sit down, all you heard was clunk, 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 clunk you know? I'm like, just things that you remember about it because everything else is kind of a blur. The biggest thing that I
0: remember about the funeral was not only that all the people that were there, I mean, back then there were lots of people there, so you knew John was about, like, not only police officers and firemen and all that, but there was a lot of just ordinary people there. The biggest thing that I remember about the funeral was the coffin coming down steps.
2: You know, I mean, people were coming in, there was such a line, you know, all the way outside out in the streets and everything. There were so, so many people that respected him. And uh, at one point, I remember brother-in-law Tim, he said something, somebody asked who this kind of ratty, ratty looking lady was, uh kind of looked a little homeless sitting in the back of the 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 room there in a chair and they asked who she was and she said uh john bought me groceries one time one of my kids for my kids he said she said uh i didn't have a dime or anything there i didn't know how i was going to make it to the next week and uh john brought her over groceries uh she never forgot that you know and that's how she remembered him
0: It just shocks you, and you can't believe what happened. And you think, well, nobody in this community does something like that.
1: The Winona County attorney filed second-degree murder charges against Kirch, and he was appointed a public defender to represent him. A grand jury on September 23rd handed down indictments for first, second, and third-degree murder. Kirch pled not guilty. Just a few days before Christmas, Kirch and his attorney filed a change of venue motion asking the state to move the trial to Olmstead County on the grounds that Kirch would not receive a fair trial there. The court granted that change. Kirch also waived his right to a jury trial and allowed Judge Daniel F. Foley to hear the case and issue the verdict. The trial started January 5th and lasted about three weeks. Kirch was found guilty on a charge of first-degree manslaughter. Foley sentenced him, January 26, 1981, to life in prison.
2: When the trial was going on, I, you know, I've always been the pretty much the spokesperson for the family at their request, um, and it was moved to Rochester and I remember going up there and sitting through the trial and I can't really even remember I remember parts of it but I just remember uh, when the verdict came out that he was guilty first degree but all I heard was doors slam open from reporters I mean they, they slammed open like it was a relay race and everybody they didn't have cell phones and stuff then and everybody was running all directions out of the courthouse and, and uh I had to run a block and a half to a supermarket to get on the phone and explain to the our family what, what the verdict was.
1: Kirch was then transported to the Minnesota State Prison in Stillwater. When an agency, like Winona County, loses an officer, a, a brother or a sister in blue, it causes a ripple effect it's like throwing a stone in the water it it changes everything
0: John's death I think changed everybody in that department and some of us probably for the worst rather than the better because we started looking at people as the enemy you couldn't trust what they were going to do that's how I look at it, is it shattered. What we were, we were hired to do is to protect and serve, you know, and you had somebody that wasn't probably right in the mind did something they never should have done. So now you distrust everybody.
1: The Schneider family still struggles every day with the murder of John. John's two kids struggle talking about what happened. And Jean, well, she never got over the loss.
2: She's, uh, she's been lonely ever since. They did everything together. And she, she missed, missed the motorcycle rides they had and things like that, you know. They'd have supper and, and uh, he would uh, take her for a little ride on the weekends or whatever out in the county because he knew so many places in the county. Uh, after all that stopped, I mean, it was just been so hard. She's never after John and the whole thing happened. She never dated. She never even thought about anybody else. She was just that close.
1: With all of his accomplishments, his military service, his law enforcement career, his lifelong marriage to his best friend Gene, his two kids that he loved, and his grandson that he doted on, he he still remained humble. Gene told.
2: Lori, she says, he always wanted my kids to be proud of me. He always wanted them to be proud of me. I'm like, wow. you <laughs> know. And then all this happened, you know.
1: John Schneider is buried at St. Mary's Cemetery in Winona. For fallen law enforcement officers, surviving families like the family of John Schneider, their sacrifice never ends. It's important for us as a society to always honor all fallen officers for their service to their communities and to recognize their families as well for their sacrifice. We need to be there to support the families of the fallen, always, and we need to make sure they know the appreciation we have for them, that we will always be there for them. In 1993, the state of Minnesota changed sentencing guidelines for cop killers. Convictions from then on were given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Convictions prior to 1993 were sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. In June of 2021, John Kirch will be granted his fifth parole hearing since his conviction. Now, every time a cop killer gets a parole hearing, the spouse, family, agency, and community is re-victimized over and over again. To the Schneider family, John Kirch sentenced them to life. Life without their husband, life without their father, life without their grandfather. To the community of Winona County, they were sentenced to life without their investigator, without their friend. They, along with the rest of us in law enforcement, believe that cop killers like John Kirch should have no less of a sentence than he imposed on this family in 1980. If you'd like to support the Schneider family and help keep John Schneider's killer behind bars, it only takes a few minutes to send a letter to the state of Minnesota, letting the commissioner and parole board know you believe Kirch should stay in prison. Your letter will only be seen by the commissioner and by the parole board, and it'll be kept in Kirch's file. The process is easy. Just visit our website at www.officerdonmemorialpodcast.com. Scroll down to John's story, and then click the icon that says Support the Schneider Family. On this page, you'll find instructions explaining how, in a few easy steps, you can help support this amazing family and keep a cop killer in prison for life where he belongs. John Schneider is recognized each year during Police Week in Washington, D.C. At the State Memorial Program in St. Paul by the Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association, And in Southeast Minnesota each year by the Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation of Southeast Minnesota. He's also recognized at their local memorial program held each year in Winona County. Thank you for spending the time to listen, learn about, and honor the memory of this fallen hero. Make sure you take the time to thank your local law enforcement for their service and their sacrifice. And don't forget to thank their families too. They also sacrifice so much for our safety. It's up to us to help ensure the sacrifices made by these fallen heroes and by their families are never forgotten. So please share this podcast with family and friends. Until next time, this is the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. I'm Scott Rose. Thanks for listening.